he preparing to lodge an urgent application to the uh, Constitutional Court, this against the Electoral uh, Court order. What do you make of this? Well, I think it's prudent um, because clearly I think the Constitutional Court's findings um, and then further entrenched by the Electoral Court kind of give rise to, to different interpretations of what is meant by this idea around the provision of addresses because what this does, uh, Bongi, in a way, is that it does, you know, you can't blame the court for, for one because they are going by what uh, goes before them. But I think the implications of their findings are that it places far too much of an onerous burden on the IEC to construct this very sound regulatory framework in a context which doesn't actually fit that reason. So you have very large numbers of people who aren't adequately able to provide a precise address or sufficient particulars, as they vaguely call it. So I think it's good for them to get an interpretation of what's, of what's actually required um, of them in order to be able to give effect to this. Because you'll remember in particular the clock where by-elections have given rise to several different problems and controversies. So I think it's best for them to be able to sort this out. Mm. And more so in the context where, look, even though in Clockway the IEC was initially uh, problematic in that they hired a person who was prepared to flout the regulations, not register independent candidates to contest elections, but it's the parties ultimately in the second round of the controversy which actually bust in voters to go and vote in places where they ought not to. Now, if there isn't sufficient clarity on the kind of information and detail that the IEC does require, require in order to register a voter in a particular voting district, that system will still be open to abuse by political parties. And I suspect, just by the way, that I think they will still be trying to find ways around it and and vote stack, so to Mm. speak, uh, their voters in areas where they think they might not have uh, enough support. So I still think that this vagary is going to give rise to some of these abuses. And the very startling figures here given out by uh, Mr. Machinini saying that 8% of the total voters in the country have no conventional addresses. Now, the, the, the question really that I want to ask... Well, just a correction. It's yes. 8 million people. Eight, that's, that's, that's 32%. 32%, sorry, yes. third of voters. Yeah, the other way around. And and another 32% have partial generic uh, addresses. So now, yeah. the question that I'm asking, and, and this is not new, are we not then running a risk of having the other elections, previous elections, then being questioned? Because we, we had this problem even during the previous local government elections. And what was done then uh, to deal with this issue? Well, Bongi, no, it doesn't. I don't think it nullifies or calls into question or, or allows us to doubt the credibility of the, of the administration of previous elections or the legitimacy of the outcomes. I think, you know, the test of an election, and there never is a perfect election, either in a regulatory sense or in an administrative or management sense. There are always problems, even in the most developed societies. What we're dealing with here is we dealing with a question of the broadest enfranchisement of the greatest number of people in a context where some of the regulatory requirements can't be satisfied. That's just a fancy way of saying, look, we live in a society where there are so many people, one-third as the, uh, as, the, as the data points out, who are either itinerant, who don't have a fixed address, uh, and who are migrants and who are fluid and in mm. motion all the time. They don't, have, they don't have a fixed address that they can provide. Now, the question is, because they can't satisfy a particular regulatory requirement, such as providing an address, do we 
say, sorry then, you can't vote? Or do we find alternative mechanisms which can verify that they do belong in a particular voting district and that they will vote there? Now, by and large, we haven't had too many problems. Just to go to your very specific point, where the problems do come is where a party believes that they might be at risk of losing a particular ward or where there's internal tensions, conflict, fights within a political party. So they, 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 they then try to side with an opposition party, and then opposition parties believe, gosh, okay, we can, we, we've got a slice of the governing party who will side with us. Mm. Maybe if we stack a few more voters this way or that way, we can swing the result. So it's where there's contested outcomes which are quite marginal where these things start to crop up. In areas where these marginal uh, differences uh, are not existent, where there's very clear majorities, then this isn't that much of a problem, which is why it doesn't really question uh, many of the results, and nor is this kind of practice very, very widespread. So you've had this, this, this problem of busing voters, mm. but they only happen in areas where the margins are actually quite slim. And we're asking this uh, question uh, this afternoon, uh, Mr. Fakir, that, uh, you know, does this then uh, dent uh, people's confidence in the IEC's capability to conduct free, fair and credible elections then? I don't think it should do so. There are other reasons uh, why people have questioned the credibility of the IEC. Some of that goes back to the previous chairperson, but I think that matter has been dispensed with. To the extent that there have been problems, whether it's clockwork, or whether it's Abad Kulusi in, in, in KwaZulu-Natal. But the issue is that the oversight mechanisms, either through the internal uh, and multi-party liaison committees which exist at the IEC, or whether through party agents at election days, mm. or whether it's gone finally to an electoral court, or even all the way to the constitutional court, is this in this specific instance of clockware. The oversight mechanisms and institutions are in place, so I don't think that there is massive cause for concern. Sure. All right, we thank you very much. Ibrahim Fakir is uh, the uh, manager of uh, governance.